0: Greetings friends and brethren, this is Dr. Bob Teal, The Continuing Church of God. I want to talk about the Exodus. I mean, was there an exodus? Uh, And if so, when would it have occurred? You know, many archaeologists, Egyptologists, and uh, secular uh, scholars uh, deny the account of the Exodus. They deny that the children of Israel were in uh, Egypt, uh, that they left, Etc. They don't believe that you should believe this. And they teach people that. I went over to uh, Wikipedia uh, a couple days ago and I'd like to read what it has. And one of the reasons I want to go there is places like Google when you do a search they make Wikipedia results come up first because that's supposed to be uh, unbiased, not supposed to have a point of view. And certain other apps around the world, I've heard for uh, cell phones, etc., are to make information more accessible to poorer people, bring up Wikipedia because they try to act like it's a reliable source. And sadly, it's not. It's got some things that are okay, don't get me wrong. But some of the stuff shows a definite bias against the facts, against the truth, against the Bible. And understand that it's not just Wikipedia, other people teach the same stuff. But I wanted to read this from Wikipedia because it's the most accessed probably uh, encyclopedia right now. The Exodus is the founding myth of the Israelites. The consensus of modern scholars is that the Bible does not give an accurate account of the origin of the Israelites, who appear instead to have formed as an entity in the central highlands of Canaan in the late 2nd millennium BCE, from the indigenous Canaanite culture. Most scholars believe that the story of the Exodus has some historical core, but the Bible was never intended primarily as a historical document, contains little that is accurate or reliable. Let me read this again. The Bible was never intended primarily as a historical document. Well, that's accurate, even though it is a historical document. And contains little that is accurate or reliable. That is not true. Majority of scholars nevertheless believe the Exodus has some historical basis. So some scholars say it was totally made up, and some say, well, there was probably something happened. The majority position is the biblical Exodus narrative. Uh, has some historical core, although its details have been clouded and obscured over time, and that there's little of historical worth in the current biblical narrative. They're telling you, do not believe this. You can't rely on this book, at least when it comes to the Exodus. And if you read other articles of Wikipedia, they're going to tell you not to rely on this book and a bunch of other things as well. Continuing with Wikipedia. The earliest traces of tradition behind the Exodus appear to be in the northern prophets, Amos, possibly, and Hosea, certainly, both active in the 8th century BCE in northern Israel but their southern contemporaries Isaiah and Micah show no knowledge of an exodus. The exodus has no historical basis. Guess what they said, the exodus has no historical basis. Now just because the book of Isaiah or the book of Micah doesn't mention the exodus doesn't mean they didn't know about it. The Micah book is very small. And I do a lot of writing Many of you know I uh, have uh, three posts a day or more uh, at the Cogwriter.com website. Uh, I write some books. As a matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of them—church books that I've written. And if I write uh, a couple articles, even thousand articles, I may have a thousand. But I don't mention Exodus at all. I could write a thousand in a row. Doesn't mean I don't believe in Exodus. But this is the kind. Of misinformation they're saying. There's a saying within archaeology, which is absence of evidence does not prove uh, uh, evidence of absence. So they're saying, because Isaiah and Micah didn't mention it, there's really no reason to believe such things. Plus, they don't believe it. there's anything in there anyway. So, remember, they say Exodus has no historical basis. They don't want you to think that there's any opportunity, there's any debate. No historical basis. Here's something else uh, from Wikipedia. Now this is from a little earlier. No historical basis for the biblical Exodus story exists. There is no indication that the Israelites ever lived in ancient Egypt. And the Sinai Peninsula shows almost no sign of any occupation for the entire second millennium BCE. Now, Many of the things that Wikipedia put there is false. Now, part of the reason, and that's not all the reason, but part of the reason for the denial by Wikipedia and other secular sources is they often hold that the exodus happened in a century did not happen. But when they use things like there's no indication, or exodus has no historical basis, that's either an outright lie or deliberate ignorance about the exodus and certain historical matters. What they should say, if they don't believe in the exodus, is that some, there are some proofs people point to they don't accept. They could say that. But no, they're saying, no, not at all. And this is one of the lies the anti-Bible types tell themselves all the time. That they're totally right. The Bible's got to be wrong. And don't, don't even consider that it's a possibility the Bible could be right. Anyway, what's happening with Wikipedia is not a new development in the 21st century. In the 20th century, I've got a report here from the Old Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, an article called The Exodus from April 1971. Uh, They quote a scholar saying, there's no record of any exodus in the Egyptian records. Uh, And they go through this and say that uh, it's it's just not the case. And it's just a tradition that they did this. And so they don't accept didn't accept in the last century, but it's worse in this century. In the last century, there was a bit more debate within scholars. But as I mentioned before, one of the problems that they have is that they go to the wrong date. Now, what's interesting to me is I've read Wikipedia's articles on the Exodus, and they changed them a lot, by the way. Now, that's a good and a bad thing about Wikipedia, the good news is they're willing to change. The bad news is a lot of times you change in the wrong direction. Which is actually why I quit writing for Wikipedia, because I wrote for Wikipedia back in the 90s. And even though they claim to have no point of view, even if you put a factual statement there, they would get often get removed. Anyway, one of the reasons that uh, with Wikipedia, they said Exodus supposedly happened around 1250, they cite somebody, they used to cite somebody who was not really any proof uh, as proof that that's what Christians believe, but that's not the case. Uh, myself, uh, other Christians, the late Dr. Herman Hay, all pointed to a time, not in the 13th century B.C. or B.C.E., which is what 1250 would be, but in the 15th century B.C. or B.C.E., um, one of the reasons, by the way, you use B.C.E. before the Common Era, Jesus was actually born uh, before Christ. <laughs> uh, so B.C.E. was supposed to have been before Jesus was born in A.D. after he came. Uh, and they're off a few years on there. Well, anyway, there is evidence that the children of Israel were in uh, Egypt uh, pr- prior to the 15th century. Now, it's true in the 13th century they were not there they had left. Uh, There were some encounters. We'll get to that later. But there are documents in the Egyptian records of some of the things that are recorded in the book of Exodus, even though scholars often and repeatedly say there is no evidence in the Egyptian records of anything like what happened in the book of Exodus. And that's simply not the case. For example, there's something called the Ipour Papyrus. Now, Wikipedia used to have Information about that regarding the Exodus. Now, at least when I look this week, they have a link at the bottom somewhere on the page to the uh, Ipuwer Papyrus, but in all the discussion they don't mention it at all. Anyway, the, Ipuer Papyrus, the Ipuer Papyrus, that's Ipuwer Papyrus, It's I P U W E R. W-E-R, papyrus provides non-biblical evidence that the plagues of Egypt hit the Egyptians, or at least, uh, well, it sounds a lot like the plagues in, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Now, I will. This is, I'll read this from Wikipedia. Ipuwer, a name typical of the period from 1850 to 1450 BCE, the Ipuwer Papyrus has been dated no earlier than the ninth dynasty around 1250 BCE but it is now agreed that the text itself is much older. So this part they have it at least partially right and they say the Aipur is supposed to cover a period from 1850 to 1450 uh, BC and I would say that it actually covers a period more to 1440 but okay but places like Wikipedia deny its relevance And part of the reason we have problems uh, with some scholars on when the exodus occurred is that they are confused about the Ramses' pharaoh. There's a misconception, and this misconception was portrayed in the famous 1956 movie with Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments. Uh, Charlton Heston was Moses in this, and Eul Brynner was supposed to be Pharaoh Ramses. And some other movies have done the same thing, saying, well, Ramses was the pharaoh, and he was the pharaoh from 1279 to 1213, therefore the Exodus was in that period of time, the 13th century. Except the Bible doesn't say that Ramses was the pharaoh. Oh, then why did they come up with that? Uh, We'll get to that later. Uh, And they ignore the fact that the Exodus occurred earlier. He says, we know it didn't occur during the time of uh, uh, Ramses II. Now, I'm not going to read this, but, you know, you can go through the uh, book of Genesis, in particular chapter 41, and you can read various things about Joseph going into Egypt, being in Egypt, and the, the famine in Egypt, and there were seven years of famine, and all that type of a thing. And there's other statements that something that, like that uh, never actually happened, uh, even though it's also repeated in the book of Psalms, of uh, 105 uh, verses 16 and 17 also said this happened. And certainly such a, an event did occur. There is something that might confirm it, and let me explain why I say might just a minute. It's something called the famine of Stella or Stele or Joseph's Stone. Okay, And it's a message supposedly sent by Zoser, who was a pharaoh of the third dynasty and a ruler of the city of uh, Elephantine. And here's what uh, uh, Zoser allegedly wrote. And I say allegedly because I don't think Zoser wrote it. I was in distress on the great throne and those who are in the palace were in heart's affliction from a very great, great evil. Since the Nile, that's the Major river in Egypt had not come in my time for a space of seven years. What happened in Egypt was the Nile would flood, and flooding for fertilizer and falls water and uh, renewed the land so they could farm it. Anyway, continuing, it says grain grain was scant, fruits were dried up, and everything which they ate was short. The infant was wailing, the youth was waiting, the heart of the old men was in sorrow. The courtiers were in need. The temples were shut up. The sanctuaries held nothing but air. Everything was found ancient. So this is a, t- a report of a seven-year famine that hit Egypt. Now, the, the famine, Stella or Stele, and by the way, I've looked up different ways how they used this to pronounce, and it was funny. One says uh, stile, the say Stele, the other say Stele, Another says say Stella. Anyway, irrespective respect how it's pronounced. And I went to a place to say, "How do you pronounce this?" So oh, I probably, probably thought that was interesting. Anyway, that this was written on was dates from the, the fourth to first centuries B.C. I think they got the name of the pharaoh wrong because I think it looks like somebody like Senusret the, the third at the time. So what am I saying? There's a document, or it's not a document. There's an archaeological. Uh, artifact called the famine stele that has this stuff inscribed on it but it was written a thousand years after the exodus and like 15 uh, 1600 years after Joseph was in Egypt uh, that's about right it was my numbers here and I think they just got the name of the pharaoh wrong. And I think they to, I think it was so long after the fact they just got it wrong. Now, some believe that uh, Pharaoh was mentioned in this and that he had a, a, a different name. And he was the pharaoh, he was the prime minister, if you will, at, at the time. So let me read something. And one of the reasons I'm talking about some of the stuff about Joseph Is again, remember, the modern scholars tell us there's no evidence that the the Semitic Israelites were in Egypt in any of these periods of time. One has got to do, let me read something here from Israel 365 News. Tim Mahoney's drive led him to a 12-year search for evidence the Israelites sojourn in Egypt. The investigation shows that an alphabet showed up in Egypt exactly when I believe Joseph was in Egypt. The early form of writing influenced the message of the Bible. Here's another thing. By the way, some have claimed that Joseph was the originator of writing. And Egyptologists over at uh, Yale said uh, Egyptian carvings show an earlier date for the alphabet. One of the complaints people have about the Bible and the book of Exodus, by the way, is they say Moses could not have written it because there was no writing at the time or there was no Hebrew at the time. It's, as far as we can tell, there was not ancient Hebrew at the time, or Hebrew the way we now know it. But we do believe there was a script that seemed to have been based on hieroglyphics, uh, which was the original alphabet, the one that the Yale professor was referring to, and that this is consistent with with the fact that a Semitic people was in there. Now, here, another article regarding that says, Who was the first people to use the alphabet? The Semitic people of Egypt, says a fresh discovery. Egyptologists found limestone inscriptions of the desert, west of the Nile, probably the earliest known of alphabetic writing. When I say alphabetic writing, that means opposed to picture writing. Hieroglyphs were just pictures. Discovery may fix the time and place of the origin of the alphabet, carved in soft stone and writing in a Semitic script, like Hebrew, or proto-Hebrew, with Egyptian influences. It's been dated between uh, 1900 and 1800 uh, BC, roughly shortly around the time that Joseph was there. And again, others have said Joseph was the originator. Anyway, this article says it's two to three centuries earlier than previously thought. The first experiments with alphabet thus appeared to be work of the Semitics who had lived deep in Egypt, And not in their homeland, in the Syria-Palestine region. And these are the earliest alphabetic inscriptions, considerably earlier than anyone thought likely. John Coleman Darnell, an Egyptologist at Yale University, told the New York Times. Also, I'd like to read something else. Uh, This is about some items that were found near Ramses in Egypt. The non-Egyptian pottery and grave goods are identical with those of the Middle Bronze Age in Palestine. Archaeologically, it's as if the site were actually in Palestine. And this is, again, referring to the time period when the children of Israel would have been in Egypt, even though, again, places like Wikipedia tried to tell, there's no evidence, there's nothing at all, so it could not have happened. Now, I mentioned Ramses, and the term Ramses or Ramesses is mentioned in the Bible several times. Three are in conjunction with the children of Israel leaving that area, like in Exodus twelve thirty-seven, Numbers 33. But let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 47. Starting verse 5. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. Verse 11. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as the Pharaoh had commanded. So this gives the impression, since Genesis comes before Exodus, that Ramses was in the name in an area centuries before there was an exodus. I'm not going to go there, but if you go to the book of Exodus, it talks about there was some pharaoh who didn't know anything about Joseph, so which obviously way after this. Now, the term Ramses means, uh, according to Wikipedia, Ra is the one who gave birth to him. Now, Ra is an important god to the Egyptians, or was. And because of its location, and that's where the sunrise is perceived elsewhere, it could be, area called Ramses, could be perceived to be the child of Ra. And Ra was a god of uh, Egyptians for many centuries. He was their sun god. And he'd become a, from uh, 2,500 years BC, he'd become a major god in the Egyptian religion. According to this, uh, now, if you go to Exodus chapter twelve, verse forty. We read. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass, at the end of 430 years, and that very same day it came to pass the armies of the Lord went out to the land of Egypt. And so we've got during this time period when Uh, the Egyptians were worshipping Ra, the children of Israel were over there. As I mentioned in Exodus 1, verse 8 talks about a a new king over uh, Egypt who didn't know Joseph. And I guess I'll go down to verse 11 in Exodus chapter 1 here. Therefore they set taskmasters over the children of Israel to afflict them with burdens And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And so we see that this Ramses looks like it was built before uh, Moses was born. Because he's not mentioned until the next chapter. It was not until the 19th dynasty of Egypt that the first leader took the name Ramses to himself. He was originally called Pa-Ramasu. Anyway, Ramses first was of non-royal birth, but he, uh, but he was born into a noble military family. Since he wasn't of uh, royal birth, and he started his own dynasty, I think this is one of the reasons I took the term Ra for the sun god, to show that he was some type of deity or somehow equal with God or had the type of authority of God or something along those lines. Now, Ramses I First and his Son Ramses the Second are believed to reign for 22 and 66 years respectively. And we know that Moses was built was born after the city of Ramses was built. And Moses was 80 when when he went to Pharaoh to ask for the children of Israel to be let free in Exodus 7:7. 7, 7. You don't have to go there. When you add the two reigns, the two Pharaoh Ramses together, it makes it impossible that either was the pharaoh of the Exodus. Simply because the children of Israel left the region called Ramses does not mean it had to be named after a 19th dynasty pharaoh. The pulpit commentary on Genesis 47-11 indicates that the area of Ramses could have existed at the time of Joseph, but it was later fortified by the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. Now, as far as when was the Exodus, as far as the Bible tells us. Well, one indication you can go to is 1 Kings 6, verse 1. So why don't you go there? 1 Kings 6, verse 1. And it came to pass, in the 480th year, after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of... Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. So from 1 Kings 6.1, we see this 480 years from the exodus from Egypt to the fourth year of Solomon's reign. Again, another reference to the exodus. Okay, So it's not just the book of Exodus that has exodus. You, you see this in uh, Kings, Psalms, and various passages of the New Testament. And if you know when Solomon's reign began, you can figure out when the uh, exodus was, but basically by backdating it, and it's going to point to 1446 B.C. Various references say that uh, Solomon reigned from 970 uh, A.D., I mean B.C. you got to take four years from that, because you go backwards uh, when it's B.C., to get four years from that, takes you 966. Now, of course, not all scholars agree that it was 970, but they're all pretty much pointing to a period of time pretty close to that, and pretty much none of them, no scholar I'm aware of, thinks that uh, Solomon reigned a period of time that would make 1250 work out. Okay, it just doesn't. So the the false date. That the Wikipedia crowd and many believe that the Exodus allegedly was in 1250 doesn't tie in with the evidence, doesn't tie in with the Bible. The Bible says it couldn't be then. So they say, well, it didn't happen in the 13th century. Of course it didn't happen in the 13th century, because there's no evidence that it happened in the 13th century, it didn't have it at all. No, if they would believe the Bible instead of saying the Bible was historically inaccurate or not historically accurate. They would realize, wait a second, it's got to be pointing to sometime in the 15th century BC for the Exodus. And then, if they would bother to look there, uh, they could find more information out about it. And uh, Ryrie's study Bible, by the way, basically points to the same thing. He says you look at uh, uh, scriptural evidence in 1 Kings 6, it's 480 years before the fourth year of Solomon's reign. That places it says around 1445 uh, BC, or as we're saying, 1446, and then there's other writings about uh, in Judges uh, that uh, point to sometime around four, in the 1400s, uh, etc. So I'm not going to go any more in in that. And now, some have pointed to other dates as well. Uh, but I want to, point to read some, about something called the Brooklyn Papyrus. It says, the most important text recounts the efforts of a 13th dynasty Theban noblewoman named Sina BTC to establish legal ownership of 95 household servants whose names indicate that 45 of them were of Asiatic origin now, when we tend to think of people of Asiatic origin, we tend to think of people such as the Indonesians or the Chinese or, or the Japanese, Koreans, uh, etc. Et but when they're taught Asiatic origin from Egypt, they're talking about people from the Near East or the Middle East, uh, which we would consider, uh, uh, for example, the children of Israel and it says the presence of so many foreigners a single household suggests Asiatic population was increasing rapidly in the 13th dynasty of Egypt and that dynasty was from 1809 to 1743 uh, BCE which is when they started to uh, they, were, they were doing more and more uh, uh, taking having more and more Israelites in there. So I mentioned uh, about this Brooklyn Papyrus. It says the Brooklyn Papyrus contains a list of 95 servants. Many are specified as being Asiatic or coming from Western Asia, uh, Canaan. The servants with foreign names are given Egyptian names, just as Joseph was when he was, became a household servant under Potiphar. The majority of the names are feminine because domestic servants were typically female, while the male servants tend to work in construction or agricultural tasks. Approximately 30 of the servants have names identified with the Semitic language family. Hebrew is a Semitic language. Remember, they said there's no indication children of Israel were there. Semites were over there. But there is. But they don't have to uh, agree with it. But it's wrong for them to go out and say there was no evidence or no indication. They should say that they don't agree that it's conclusive, that they don't agree with it. But they want to give this false impression that there's no way you can believe the Exodus. There's no way you can believe the Bible. They want you to think it's not possible, and only the most ignorant, uneducated people would believe the Bible. As a person who's fairly educated by the world's standards, I will tell you that no... You don't have to have a doctorate or multiple doctorates to know the truth. Jesus said, you know the truth and truth will set you free. He's talking about people who are relatively uneducated. And he also said his word is truth. And his word is truth. Don't fall for lies of false scholars, even if there's lots of them who say the same nonsense. Um, I'll digress for a moment. We have a booklet. Is God's existence logical? All right? And this basically explains why the evolutionary view of uh, life coming and the origin universe from the evolutionist types is flat out wrong. It's inconsistent with true science. Yes, but all the universities, all the great universities, and the great men and women of science believe in this trash. It is trash, by the way. At the back of this book, I have a quote, and the quote is in the book, and I've quoted this before. I want to read something from Nobel Prize winner Dr. George Wald from Harvard University. Here's what he said. The reasonable view was to believe in spontaneous generation, life from nothing. The only alternative is to believe in a single primary act of supernatural creation. There is no third position. So I think he's right about that. There's only two possibilities. Either somehow everything came from nothing or there was a supernatural creation. Those are the only two options. Then he says, one only has to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. Well, if that's impossible, then what's the only other alternative? A supernatural creation. And that's what he should have concluded. But that's not what he did, he said. Yet, here we are as a result. I believe of spontaneous generation. He ignores science. Let me assure you, many archaeologists and people at Wikipedia and Facebook and various other censors of the truth don't believe in the truth. And many so-called fact checkers out there on the Internet get it wrong as well. Because they have an agenda. Whose agenda? Satan's agenda, not God's agenda. Satan is called the God of this world, or God of this age. And they listen to him. They don't know that they're listening to him, but that's what they're doing. Because they overlook the truth. Anyway, I'm not going to go through everything I've got on this, but I've got an article at the cogwriter.com website. When was the Exodus? And did it happen? C O G W R I T E R dot com website. It goes in a lot more depth on names, uh, etc. Also, back around 1900 BC, uh, there was one called uh, Neferti, not to be confused with Nefertiti, who's complaining that these Asiatics uh, had infiltrated the delta, they had come in there. And so we, we have evidence that children of Israel were in Egypt. There's also color, colorfully dressed Bedouins identified as 37 Asiatics who asked for permission to enter Egypt in 19th century wall painting. And it said these Asiatics and foreigners came to Egypt to graze and water their livestock. And we know that the children of Israel, the literal Israel and his children, came with their flocks and herds into Egypt to water their livestock. There is evidence that the children of Israel were in Egypt by the time of the Exodus. But you've got scholars who tell you there is no evidence. And again, if they were truly interested in the truth, I can understand, by the way, how some can look at certain evidence and come to different conclusions. Okay? We have that happen sometimes with Scripture, particularly in certain things that may not be as clear. We have this happen a lot of times if somebody is a witness to an event, whether it's a crime or something else. Uh, people don't always see things exactly in the same way. But it's one thing to have a difference of opinion on what the facts mean. But it's quite another to say there are no facts when there are. In places such as Wikipedia, should know better. And there's also evidence that the children of Israel left Egypt and were in the time of Canaan earlier than the reign of Ramses. There is the name Israel on something called the Berlin Statue Pedestal Relief which is from 1350 B.C., which is about 100 years after the Children of Israel left uh, Egypt. And it was uh, purchased in 1913, but it was undiscovered. It was laying around in the Berlin Museum until somebody published a paper about it in 2001. Then in 2010, some other scholars did uh, more study of it. In 2012, they did some uh, 3D scans and all that stuff. Said the tame does say Israel, the fragment uh, dates from 1350 to uh, 1213, and it's a granite block that this is on, and so they they've they've demonstrated that. And there's also more evidence, Uh, in his book, Dr. Doug uh, Petrovich's book, uh, the world's oldest alphabet. uh, He ties together uh, Hebrew letters and Egyptian hieroglyphics. He goes to that in great depth. Uh, he found some trans- some things he found written that point to Moses, where they spell M-O-S-H-E, which is the way I've seen it spelled in some other languages. Moses is actually Moshi in Hebrew, so that's how it tends to be spelled. But people overlook that. The Apostle Paul warned in Romans one twenty two. you don't have to go there, but those who professing to be wise, they become fools. Now in uh, 1983, the late uh, Worldwide Church of God scholar, Dr. Herman Hay, who I slightly knew, I knew a little bit, he felt that uh, the exodus date was uh, 1443, and it was during the reign of uh, Amenhotep II, who reigned jointly with, for uh, two and a half years with Thutmose II, excuse me, Thutmose the third. And, and the daughter of Thutmose the one whose pharaoh was called Hatshepsut, and that she's the one who adopted Moses. And now later he changed on that a little bit. In 1997, uh, he changed his perspective, and I'm not going to go through all the details that he gave, here, but basically he concluded that the Exodus would have been 1446 and he also includes this based upon work by uh, Edwin uh, uh, Edwin Teeley which is kind of interesting because that's an alternative spelling of my last name it's a T-H-I-E-L-E but uh, anyway, I've seen that when I've done studies about my name derivation, that name pops up as one of the ones that came from it Uh, let's see, Dr. Petrovich also uh, points to uh, 1446 or 1445 uh, of, of E for the time of the uh, Exodus. Now, let's go to the uh, book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read several scriptures, so you might want to start to follow me on these. And one of the reasons I want to do this is, is that the New Testament confirms the idea that the Exodus did happen. Okay, Acts 13, verse 16. Paul stood up, motioned with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. With, unlifted, with an uplifted arm, he brought them out. Now, for time was about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Now let's go to the book of Hebrews. And the next several passages I'm going to read are from Hebrews. I'm going to read Hebrews 3. We'll start in verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Hebrews 8, 9. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers, and I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue with my covenant, I disregarded them. Now let's go to Hebrews 11. Read a few verses, starting at verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. And hopefully you're looking to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured his seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. And also, uh, I'm going to read from Jude, a couple of verses, five and six, Jude wrote, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Hopefully you are one who believes. As far as the time period goes, um, let's go to the book of Acts chapter 7. So it's a little complicated, but let me go from this. Acts 7, starting verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew near which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. till so another king arose who didn't know Joseph, as we read in Exodus 1. This man dealt treacherously with our people, oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so they might not live. At this time, Moses was born, well-pleasing to God. He was brought up in his father's house for three months. And we set out. Pharaoh's daughter took him, brought him to her own to be her own son. And Moses learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in word and deeds. Which is one of the reasons why I, by the way, say Moses, wrote what we say he wrote in the Bible. Jesus said Moses wrote part of the Bible. And we go into that in depth from a, a book we have. It's online, Who Gave the World the Bible? Uh, this booklet, this one and any other one I might hold up, by the way, are available free at the www.ccog.org website. C-c-o-g.org. C-C-O-G dot standing for Continuing Church of God. C-C-O-G dot O-R-G website. So, Moses could have written because he was trained in Pharaoh's household. Now, verse 23, when he was 40 years old, he came to visit his brethren, seeing one of them suffering wrong, he defended and avenged him, struck down the Egyptian. He thought his brethren would have understood that God would deliver him, but they didn't understand. And throughout history, people have not accepted God's prophets. The next day, he appeared to them, we're fighting, your brethren, why are you wronging another? But the one who did the neighbor wrong said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? So, at this saying, Moses became dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. So Moses is 40 at the time. And then in Exodus 7.7, 7, we find that uh, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. So we see that Moses was in Midian for 40 years. Now, according to certain readings, there's an inscription on something called the uh, uh, Myrniphtastele, M-E-R-N-E-P-H let me read that again. M-E-R-N-E-P-T-A-H Steely. S-T-L-E. It shows that uh, the Israelites already occupied the land of Canaan during uh, 1213 to 1203 uh, BC which is the reign of uh, uh, M-E-R-N-E-P-T-A-H not sure why I can't say that. That stele was discovered in 1896. It talks about a battle and shows people dressed like Canaanites. It tells us of, uh, Egypt destroying the seed of Israel. And this basically means the idea that exodus appeared during the time of Ramses is impossible. Why? Because Ramses II allegedly reigned until 1213. And the till of Israel is shown in the Bible to have wandered for 40 years of wilderness before settling on the land of Canaan. It would make no sense that the defeated uh, Ramses II could have reigned at least uh, 30 years, 40 years minus the 10 for the reign of uh, M-E-R-N-E-P-T-A-H, after experiencing the plagues and loss of armies that he had. Now, Jewish sources say that there's uh, some evidence of uh, that Joseph was given a different uh, that Moses was given a different name in some of the writings and that there's non-Jewish accounts were plainly uh, inspired by hatred of the Jews and display a strange mixture of blurred biblical facts and free fiction and that's one of the problems that we've had so you have people who don't want to know the Bible so they'll pick and choose a few parts of the Bible and then say this stuff is not true now in my article, I have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of things about trying to explain who the Pharaoh was of uh, the time of Moses. And basically we've concluded, and this is what Dr. Hay concluded, and uh, uh, scholars who seem to have uh, hold the Bible in respect, they may not agree with all of it, but who tend to respect the Bible. They've concluded that uh, it looks like it was Amenhotep II who would have been uh, the pharaoh during that time. And one of the reasons is that some things happened during his reign. Uh, Somehow there was a radical change in his foreign policy. And there was some type of religious crisis that happened. So let me read something about this. They're tying this back to archaeologist uh, Dr. Douglas Petrovich, University of Toronto. He explores the precise timing of the abandonment of the ancient Egypt Egyptian city of Avaris during the Egyptian 18th dynasty. In the article, Petrovich explores the various theories about the exact timing of the abandonment of the city of Avaris, which seems to coincide with the reign of Amenhotep II. The significance of this this possible relevance to the Exodus is that it's indirect evidence of a major crisis event which happened in the ninth year of Amenhotep's reign. That event could very well have been the Exodus. And here's some things from uh, Petrovich. Most inscriptural evidence, excuse me, more inscriptural inscriptional evidence may attest directly to the Year 9 crisis in Amenhotep II commission commissioning of a decree for his couriers to destroy all the images of, his, of the gods, singling out Amun-Re in particular. Given that Thutmose III and Amenhotep II expressly ascribed praise to uh, Amun-Re for military victories on their Asiatic campaigns, and that Amenhotep originated or perpetuated the desecration of Hatshepsut's images throughout Egypt, and Hatshepsut was Moses, uh the one, the, the Egyptian princess who adopted Moses, He claimed to be his mother, there's plenty of reason to hypothesize that the religious crisis and subsequent decree to destroy all the bodies of Egypt's di- deities through the land may be intricately bound to the military and political turmoil of this year nine. Moreover, potential interruption of the high priesthood of Amun during this time may also attest to this perfect storm of events. Therefore, religious crisis focused on amun re at the time may have been initiated by amun II as a result of this devastating loss in battle which coincided with the abandonment of their principal naval base from which military operations from Asia were launched and led to an unavoidable shift in foreign policy. Basically, what happened from the biblical biblical perspective, presuming Amenhotep II was the Pharaoh, is the plagues of Egypt. And we have sermons that we've done on this that you can find at this channel where we go through and show a couple things about those plagues. One is that they are connected to various Egyptian deities. God was showing the Egyptians and the Israelites, for that matter, that the gods of Egypt were of no value. And he various plagues were against this god or multiple gods or goddesses that the Egyptians had. Well, this caused a massive crisis in Egypt and would explain why uh, Amenhotep would have uh, destroyed a bunch of the idols of these gods because they didn't protect them. And because he didn't like what happened with Moses, uh, the, the adopted mother one of his relatives which destroyed everything associated with her he could as well so that's totally consistent with what happened let me read something from uh, uh, another article one of the well, one of the many articles I have here this part of my article uh, this is from Petrovich it says God told Moses he would harden Pharaoh's heart and the Pharaoh would refused to free the Israelites. God instructed Moses to tell Pharaoh, this is from Exodus 4, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my uh, first, my son, my firstborn, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. After the ninth plague, God repeated this prediction. Uh, in uh, Exodus 11:5, and he goes through, and he has evidence to describe who this was, and he suspects it was an uh, unattested uh, 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 Tutmos, somebody called Tutmos, one of the Tutmoses, and he gives lots and lots of. Uh, information about this. Basically he concludes that there are a lot of just lots of evidence that coincides with what the Bible the Bible teaches. Now biblically so there's something also called the dream Stele, which also talks about uh, essentially uh, the death of a son, etc., of a pharaoh, and in Exodus twelve twenty nine, we know Pharaoh's son died because it says in Exodus twelve twenty nine, came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of, Egypt, of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, the firstborn of the captive who was in a dungeon, the firstborn of the livestock. Now, when this happened, of course, they wanted the children of Israel gone. If you're in Exodus twelve, we're going to go to verse thirty. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all the servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, but there was not a house where there was not one that was dead. Then he, that's this Pharaoh, probably Amun-Hotep, called Moses and Aaron by the night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go and serve the Lord, as you said. Take your flocks, your herds, which you said, and be gone, and bless me also. Egyptians urged the people they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. God God's killed all this stuff, and we could be next. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound in their clothes on their shoulder, up their clothes on their shoulder. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they gave unto them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot plus children. Now, there is a record in this Ipour papyrus that I was referring to before that talks about the loss of gold to the Egyptians. Papyrus 3, 6 through 10. Gold is lacking. All the handicrafts is at end. The king's palace is despoiled. Behold, no craftsman works. The enemies of the land have spoiled its crafts. People are strips of clothes, spices, and oil. Everyone says there is none. Well, that's consistent with the biblical account. But they say there's no evidence. Notice also, if you're in uh, Exodus 12, go down to verse 38. A mixed multitude went up with them also in flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes on the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt, could not wait, and they prepared provisions for themselves. Now there's another record in the I word papyrus. It seems to tell of Egyptians who became foreigners. Those who were Egyptians have become foreigners, is actually what it quotes. So the children of Israel were sort of considered to be Egyptians because they were in that Egypt for uh, hundreds of years, but they became foreigners. Here's some else in Epyr Papyrus. Indeed, every dead person is a well-born man. Those who were Egyptians have become foreigners and are and are thrust aside. Yeah, the Egyptians thrust the Israelites out, and that's in Ipuwer Papyrus. Here's another part from it. Uh, this is uh, section. Okay, the, other, the last one was four one. This is from five two to three, Epyr Papyrus. Indeed. Magnets are hungry and perishing. Followers are followed because of the complaints. Indeed, the hot-tempered man says, If I knew where God is, then I would serve him. People were suffering because of the plagues of Egypt. And, and so we, uh, some of the mixed multitude, by the way, that went with the children of Israel were probably Egyptian. And so the uh, Egyptians became foreigners. And that's something that we, we see. Now, as far as written evidence about the exodus, the following is related to the uh, Greek historian H-E-C-A-T-A-E-U-S of Abdera, and an Egyptian priest and teacher called C-H-A-E-R-E-M-O-N, the Roman historian Tacitus and a Greek historical philosopher Strabo says the author of the earliest non-biblical account of the Exodus is this guy of, he with an H, of Abdera, who came to Egypt around 320 BC. In his version, the story begins the moment of distress. A plague is raging Egypt. Egyptians interpret this as divine punishment for the presence of aliens and the introduction of alien rights and customs. Consequently, the aliens are just expelled. Some, under the leadership of Kados and Danos, colonized Greece, while others, under the leadership of Moses, colonized Palestine. Now, according to this H-E-C-A-T-A-E-U-S person, Moses forbade the making of divine images. Well, we know the Ten Commandments don't have images before God. Now we've got this other one. This is at C-H A E R E M O N, an Egyptian. Lived in the first half of the first century. He uh, was a tutor of Nero. He gives another version. He said the goddess Isis appeared to uh King Amenophis, which is Amenhotep, by the way, in a dream and reproached him because of the destruction of her temple in the times of war. They advised him to purge. Egypt of the lepers, of the foreigners. The king gathered 250,000 lepers and expelled them from Egypt. Their leaders were Moses and Joseph, whose Egyptians' names were Tisiton and Pediseph. So you've got uh, another account. There's 250,000 lepers, well, the Bible says 600,000 men plus others, being purged. And there's also something from Pompeius's. Uh, Trogus' Historica of Philippi. Here Moses was not an Egyptian but is called the son of Joseph. Well, he was uh, not quite a son of Joseph, but anyway. And when he leaves Egypt, he took the sacred objects of Egypt and while trying to recover these objects by force the Egyptians were forced by storms to return home. Well, you may recall when the children of Israel went through the, the Red Sea, the army of Pharaoh, the Egyptian army, got destroyed by a, by that same sea. And some people think that, you know, some there was some kind of weather involved. Oh, God probably has some strong wind blowing for a time and then pushed back together. And then Tacitus gives a summary that combines many aspects of the Exodus tradition. Egypt... Is struck by an epidemic that leads to bodily deformities. And we read about various things related to that in the plagues. The king consults an oracle that learns he's got to uh, rid his country of this race of people because their gods detest them. The Jews are, uh, the children of Israel are driven into a desert, but they find a leader in Moses who brings them to Palestine and founds Jerusalem. In order to consolidate his authority, according to this story, Moses institutes a new religion, which is the exact opposite of all the other religions. Uh, Tacitus and all these others characterize the Jewish concept of God as monotheistic and aniconic. Aniconic means against idols and images. Tacitus writes, The Egyptians worship many animals in monstrous images. The Jews conceive of one God, and with that of the mind only. They regard those who make representations of God in man's image from perishable materials as impious. That supreme and eternal being is incapable of being representation and is without end. Now, according to Strabo, there was an Egyptian priest named Moses. He felt dissatisfied with the Egyptian religion, decided upon found a new religion, and he left and took his followers to Palestine. So we see this in many accounts. Now, of course, places like Wikipedia are going to say, well, these came later, after the children of Israel made all this stuff up. But things like the Ipawar papyrus did not. They, they were there uh, beforehand. And there's uh, more things here. This is uh, says that another account. An Egyptian priest in Moses. He declared the Egyptians and the Africans uh, entertained erroneous representations of the divinity because they used the likeness of wild beasts and cattle. And the Greeks were making errors, with having their images as well. And he had people uh, follow him. And of course, uh, the reality is the true Christian religion, the true biblical religion, is the opposite of Satan's religions including those that were in Egypt. Uh, the true biblical religion is based on truth and love and the give way of life, uh, not lust and not on idols. And there's a tomb that talks about Egyptians being drowned. It says, The tenth hour of the Amduat depicting the deified drowned in the lower register in the tomb of Amenhotep. A second, So we see there's something about drowned people associated with Amenhotep. And remember, when the Egyptians went after children of Israel through the Red Sea, they all, they drowned. And here, here's something from uh, a book called, uh, Was There an Exodus in Conquest? If the dating of archaeological sites should be based on pottery and other historical considerations, such as the chronology of Egyptian pharaohs, then all the evidence from the Tel Jericho, that's a site in Jericho, argues for its destruction and burning around 1401 to 1406 B.C. All the evidence from Jericho at this time fits the biblical record in an amazing way from the details about the city being burned along with everything in it. See Joshua 6, to the walls, dwelling places where the Rahab held the Jewish spies. Continuing research at Jericho and now new research at Tel Makor, which they believe might be the biblical uh, AI, is yielding results that confirm the biblical co- record of Joshua's conquest in amazing ways. Most critical scholars place AI at this El Tel, but there's no evidence of destruction there which fits the biblical description. However, just one kilometer west is another site which very well could be the biblical site of Ai. Now, for the Exodus to take place in 1446, which is what I said, then you have 40 years in the wilderness, that would bring it to 1406, which is a likely time of the destruction of Jericho. So it fits. There is all kinds of evidence out there. There was a researcher by the name of John Garstang who excavated the uh, ancient Jericho and he came to the conclusion this destruction took place around 1400. And understand when they come up with these dates it's really tough to be really precise. 1400 is pretty close to 1406 and that's probably when that happened. And uh, he uh, took a team Israel back in 1930 in order to, to, when he did that, There are others who've also come to a similar conclusion. All right, now there's something else I want to show. Now, there's some artifacts that I think might be interesting. Here is something that was uh, a find called the Soleb Temple inscription. I'm going to show this, and I know it's not going to come out very, maybe this is most clear, but there it is, below my finger here. This hieroglyphic corresponds uh, very precisely to the Hebrew uh, tetrachromatin, YHWH, Yahweh, and, and antedates its oldest occurrence on the Moabite stone by over 500 years. And so, this points to this idea of the term of Yahweh being around earlier because you've got people saying it out of something that was invented later. And uh, Pharaoh Amenhoped III knew about Yahweh, therefore, in 1385 because of this inscription. Okay? And it was as grandfather or father, uh, Amenhoped II. So, there is all kinds of evidence out there that the children of Israel were were there. Now, Josephus wrote a few things. This is the first century uh, uh, Jewish scholar. He talks about... uh, uh, Thermuthus was the king's daughter. She went to the uh, banks of the river, and she's the one now known as... uh, uh, Hatshepsut and talks about this. She finds Moses, she brings him up, talks about Miriam, and she calls him Moses from what happened. And from the Egyptians call water by the name of Mo, and so when they're saved out of it by the term Usus, so put those two together, they came to uh, Moses, according to Josephus. Now, Josephus said that uh, the daughter of Pharaoh was uh, Thermosis, which is very similar to the name Thutmose. And if you can go through the de- details, I'm not going to go through all of them here. I'll refer you back to my paper where I've got a bit more details on some of this stuff. I just don't... It's, it's a lot to read, but to, make, to shorten it, there's all kinds of evidence that we know who Pharaoh was during the time of the Exodus. It was not Ramses II. It was, appears to be Amenhotep II. We know who the, the princess mother, adopted mother of Moses, was, uh, and if, when you look at it, it, it uh, again points again away from the Ramses II situation. I mentioned stuff about the uh, ten plagues, and then. Uh, there's some arguments about the date of the Ebers papyrus. But um, it was uh, written, Ebers papyrus, they think, was written in the 13th century. But uh, sc- uh, scholars, overall, biblical and non-biblical scholars, are pretty sure that what happened was way prior to that. Some d- scholars uh, think that Ebers papyrus uh, dates from, like, 2184 BC or uh, uh, of 171770 BC but there's all kinds of uh, dates for it and when we see what happened in the Bible it seems to correspond pretty close to that document now let me read something that the old worldwide church of God wrote about this concerning the Ipawar papyrus and the ten plagues now, again, I understand that scholars may differ on the timing of this and the dating of it, but again, the Eiffelberg Papyrus, they didn't, the oldest copy we've got is from the 13th century, and it was for an earlier period. Now, we're saying it's talking about events from the 15th century. And the Old Worldwide Church of God had the similar view, and it says the account of the Ten Lost plague, ten last Plagues, Ten Plagues, in, is what's called the eiphoor papyrus. It matches the biblical re- record in detail. The f- phrase, all is ruined, occurs at least twice. In Upper Egypt, Pharaoh's servants asked him, do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? So we see that from the scripture. Anyway, as I mentioned, it has a lot of details that align with uh, the plagues of, of Egypt. And these are Egyptian sources. A lot of these things I'm talking about are Egyptian sources with inscriptions and some steles, etc. Yet you've got scholars like Wikipedia said so there's no indication that the biblical account's not accurate. They don't want to prove the biblical account accurate. Why? Because it goes against their agenda. They got a different agenda and it's not God's. Anyway, was there an Exodus? Certainly there was an Exodus. Yes, it was uh, documented in the Bible. Now, another odd thing about scholars, if they find writings regarding other peoples that don't come to the Bible, they usually think it's they're accurate. Okay? But when it comes to the Bible, they seem to have an opposite view. We can't believe the Bible, can't believe the Bible, can't believe the Bible. Now, on the other hand, there are some biblical archaeologists who, or, or various scholars who say, okay, the Bible must be true, therefore let's go out and look for evidence. And that's something that uh, I've tended to do on various things. Uh, and you can find stuff if you're looking for it. But a lot of people, a lot of scholars don't want to. They want to prove the opposite. They hold the Bible to a different standard than other archaeological information because they want to believe it's just the founding myth, etc. so that the Israelites will believe certain things and it doesn't have to be true. So yes, there absolutely was an exodus. The Bible says it. You can rely on that. I we make one other comment here. Uh, we've got another book I should hold up here called Proof Jesus is the Messiah. And one of the reasons I hold this up is if you read this book and study it, you'll be able to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. A lot of scholars discount that as well. But the reality is that is true. Jesus absolutely was the Messiah. And you can prove that if you're willing. Which also proves that the Bible's accurate. My opinion. Anyway... I think the Exodus looks like it was around 1446. As far as various experts and stuff, you know, in Second Peter 3.3, 3, you don't have to go there, Peter was inspired to write, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. They don't want to believe the God of the Bible. They don't want to believe Jesus is the Messiah. They don't want to have to live as Jesus taught. Apostle Paul warned in First Timoth- me, Second Timothy 3, Verse 1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, or in the last days. Verse 13, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Yes, these phony, false scholars are deceiving and being deceived. And again, it's not just about the Exodus. It's also got to do with uh, with Jesus, origin of the universe, morality, etc., Now, that being said, for those of us, uh, there are some who, again, don't believe they actually got the dates off by a couple of centuries. But understand, you know, the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. So even if they look like they have facts that contradict the Bible, let me simply say that usually it's because either their fact is not a fact, or what they say the Bible says the Bible does not say. It's going to be one or the other or some combination. Let me go to uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. I want to read this. Paul warned Timothy, cutting into verse 20. Guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. New King James warns about people who say they have knowledge and they don't have it the old King James, by the way, who says it's science falsely called. Uh, Apostle Paul also warned in 2 uh, Timothy three seven about people who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because they don't want to come to the knowledge of the truth. They don't want you to believe this book because they don't believe at all. So when you hear opinions of scholars that contradict the Bible, remember the Bible is true. And people say, you're just saying that, and we just have to execute it on faith. Well, the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, admonishes Christians. Admonishes God's people. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. As I mentioned before, you can prove that Jesus is Messiah. You can prove God's existence is, is logical. You can prove that the only logical explanation is that God created everything. And when it comes to historical events, Uh, If someone says it doesn't square with the Bible, it's because they don't understand the Bible, or their event uh, is in error. They're not getting it right. Anyway, just because there were pharaohs in the 19th dynasty who were called Ramesses doesn't mean the exodus was in the 19th dynasty in the 13th century B.C. Historical evidence points to the exodus occurring uh, over 3,460 years ago, around 1446 uh, B.C., Yes, there was an exodus. Yes, you can believe the Bible. Don't be misled by so-called scholars who tell you about knowledge falsely called, even if it's in some type of encyclopedia that the mainstream media loves. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.